discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boatin as Christ is magnified in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands on high. Shall we thank the Lord for? He's been good to us. He's been so, 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 so good. So, so, just say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He's been so, 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 so good. We are gathered in his name. What a privilege. What an honor. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 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 We honor you, Abba Father, for the great things you've wrought in Christ on our behalf. Thank you for everyone gathered here. We will never be the same. We are transformed from glory to glory in every facet of our lives. Thank you for the innumerable company of angels. Thank you that the celestial city is all around us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That the supernatural, the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm is all around us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That what is happening here tonight will have eternal consequences. Everyone is leading here with a load of blessing. What has gone unanswered for years will be answered tonight. And your people will leap as the heart, full of joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. Thank you, Lord. To give you all glory. Blessed Holy Spirit, have dominion in this place. Brood over us and take preeminence in this place. Can you please be seated? Hallelujah. Welcome your neighbor. Just tend to your neighbor and smile. Welcome to your neighbor in the name of the Lord. Give him a high five. Yeah, give him a high five. Yeah. We thank God for our bishop. For his life. For the obedience of faith. Hallelujah. It's so good to have bishop as your pastor. Yeah. Many pastors are not like him. There's so much grace on him. Yeah. His smile alone can transform your life. 
when I was in secondary school, I wanted to see a certain man of God. And the man of God came to have a program in my school. And I desperately wanted to see him because I had certain questions concerning the faith I wanted to ask from him, ask him. So I, I waited at the entrance and I really revered and respected this man of God. So I, I just waited for the church to close so I could meet this man of God so he could help answer the questions that had bothered me for so long. So before closing, I just went out just to wait for him. So he came out of, from the gate, entered into his car. I was going to see him. I greeted him and a man of God sacked me. But he drove me away as, as though he was casting out a devil. Come on, come, come. So it became a scar in my soul. So I thought all men of God were like that. So I told myself that I'll never approach a man of God again. So in growing up, whenever I see a man of God, I thought they were all the same. And I'll pass here. I didn't know how they will accept me when I approach them. So what impresses me the most is when a man of God can be approached. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you look at Bishop, you are blessed. In fact, <laughs> he's just he's approachable, he's touchable, and he's reachable. So you are blessed. So be like that. Hallelujah. God bless you. Uh, Reverend Eugene, God bless you again with your wife and all the pastors for the great work you are doing. Hallelujah. So these two days, uh, this week is power packed. So I'm here, Prophet is also here. And I know that uh, it's going to be a full download from heaven. Hallelujah. How many of you love God? How many of you love his word? And are you ready for God's word? Are you ready? Hallelujah. All right. Okay. So I'm speaking on the subject Foundations for Answered Prayer. Foundations for Answered Prayer. Psalm 11, verse 3. Psalm 11, verse 3 says, If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So foundations are very important. We can't see the foundation of, the foundation of this building, but the superstructure is, is standing on the foundation. The devil seeks to erode foundations from our Christian living so we can struggle in our lives. But if you understand foundations, you ride on smoothly. You'll enjoy life. You'll enjoy the Christian journey. But in the present season, there are many Christians who actually don't think God answers prayers. Or they don't think God answers every kind of prayer. Or God is, they feel God is too slow. It is unspoken, but the heart of many testify that God is too slow. It's too slow. So to surprise you that in churches today, even charismatic churches, many are consulting native doctors. Yeah, native doctors. A bishop was sick. They said they prayed, 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 nothing was happening. So the family took the bishop to a native doctor. If a bishop goes to a native doctor, what should the members do? What should the, the reverend and the pastors do? <laughs> it's amazing. So people are consulting so many mediums, so many things, finding their way out because the devil is destroying foundations.
And there are others who pray. I've seen a lot of Christians who love to pray. They enjoy the mood of praying, but they are not conscious of answered prayers. Their prayers being answered. In my Christian journey, I had a book. Anything I ask God, I'll write the dates and the prayer topic and the dates the prayer was answered. It's very important. I learned that from uh, George Muller. But in his book, he had a book and he wrote more than one million answered prayers. More than one million answered prayers. Because if you mean what you are talking, what you are asking God, if you mean it, then you should, you should expect the answer. And if God is real, if you are speaking to a living being and not a machine, you know who he is. And his word is true. And he cannot deny himself that you must have an answer. Very important. Many Christians are not happy. Because actually, you know what Jesus said in John 16, 24? John 16, 24. He that too, ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Until now, you have, you have asked nothing in my name. And Jesus says, ask and ye shall receive. Why? That your joy may be full. If your joy can be full, then your joy can be half. Then your joy can be quarter. Then your joy can even dry out. So joy is in degrees and in measures. One of the ways to walk in the fullness of joy is to have your prayers answered. And the Lord Jesus said, if you ask your prayers to be answered, so that you walk in joy. So that you go to, when you're going home, you are happy, you are laughing, you are smiling, your heart is cheerful. When you're going for lectures, your heart is cheerful. When you're going for your, your workplace, your heart is cheerful. You, you are just, your face is full of smiles because you know your prayers are being answered. Because Jesus wants you joyful. That's why he said what he said. Charles Finney didn't want to be a Christian. If you know the story of Charles Grandison Finney, the great revivalist. God used him mightily. And he was a lawyer, and his problem was that he had a problem with Christians before he converted because he felt that Christians pray, 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 but they have no answers. So if their God is real, why are they having no answers? That was his problem. Then when he got converted, he said, ah, if your God is real, I need to celebrate answers. Not just long praying. Long praying is good, but I, I, I want answers. And that was manifested in his life. Wherever he went, there was revival. And many came asking him, what is your secret? Why? How do you do it? That will be your story tonight. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Many are not, you see, our calling is intimacy with the Lord. You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ. You see, this verse doesn't say fellowship with his son. It says fellowship of his son. Uh-huh. What it means is that the same fellowship the son has with the father, the same fellowship the son, Jesus, has with the father, that privilege has been given to us. How intimate the son is with the father, we have been given the same calling. What it means is that you can be as close to the Father as Jesus is close to the Father. You can have that liberty, that freedom, that... In- but uh, practically, do we see that? It's almost like it's not possible. Why, why, why are we not working in? You see, look at how free you are to talk to your friends. Your friends, your, your beloved. You know, your loved ones. When you are in a crisis or you are in a problem, you take phone. There are people you can just call. There are other, those you can just easily share with. But that's not with the Father. But actually, it should have been greater with the Father. Why is it that when you are in a crisis, you, call, you, you look for your phone to talk to someone, you talk to about seven people before you remember that there's something called prayer? So, prayer becomes the last resort, not the first response. Because, you know, there is a barrier. There is something preventing you. You know, it is unspoken, but you, 
If it wasn't there, there would have been such easiness to open up to the Father at any time. I'm telling you. Prayer should be just a better way. Raven Hill says that uh, prayer is the simplest form of speech the infant lips can try. You should be able to share. Talk to the Father ordinarily and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But something, there's a kind of buffer, there's a barricade. And that is what we want to destroy tonight. Hallelujah. So that you can be you can be closer in experience to the Lord, far more than David did. Because David belonged to an inferior covenant. And we belong to a better one. Hallelujah. Praise God. So we need to walk in a consciousness of the fatherhood of God, the love of God, knowing that uh, nothing is standing between we and the Father, that whatever we ask, we have answers. You should enjoy it. That is your Christian life. Other than that, you, you are living religiously. Christianity is, is a relationship. It's not a religion. It happens. It happens. And when you work in Revelation, things begin, to, things begin to answer to you. Hallelujah. Things begin to answer. That liberty... I asked the Lord for something on Saturday. On Monday, without speaking to any human being, on Monday, someone approached me and uttered the same words I spoke to the Lord. It is called what? Answered prayers. Can you imagine what that happened? What you, how your life would be? Joyful. Last, um, who week did we come from Tamale? And Saturday. On Sunday, I needed something, so I called for it in the spirit. But it was actually money. I mentioned the exact amount without telling any human being. It was in the morning. By evening, the same amount had come to me, but only that the tithe was added. You see, God added the tithe, so that when you take away the tithe and the offering, the money will still be there. So these things are real. It's so real. You can walk in that kind of joy kind of liberty. Hallelujah. Yeah. Praise God. How many of you want to walk in answered prayers and walk in the fullness of joy that Jesus spoke about? Your heart is so open that you can talk to him at any time because you know he hears you, he enjoys you, that there is nothing standing before you and him. Yeah, very important. That's the foundation for our Christian life. Without this, you go away, you go further and further away. All right. Okay, take me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 32. From verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar. For, for then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city unto the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah the king of Judah shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall, and there shall he be until I visit him. Thus says the Lord, Though ye fight with the Chaldeans, ye shall not prosper. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, Thine uncle shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anatoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anatoth, which is the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine. 
and the redemption is thine, buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was an Anatoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it, and took witnesses, and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the pitches, both that which he sealed according to the law and the custom, and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the pitches unto Barak, the son of Neriel, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the pitches before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Barak before them, saying, That says a lot of hosts, the God of Israel. Take the evidences, this evidence of the pitches, both which is sealed and in the evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be purchased again in, in the land. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's an interesting story. Now, what is this story all about? Follow me carefully. Praise God. Now, in, in Israel, in Judah, in Jerusalem, just before they were taken into Babylon, you know, they were taken captive into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar at that time was the king of kings. So, he sent his army and they besieged Jerusalem. So, his army gathered around the gates of Jerusalem. So, no one could come in, no one could go out. And Jeremiah was a prophet, the major prophet at that time in Judah, or in the city. Then he began to prophesy that Zedekiah, and that Zedekiah was the last king of Judah, that Zedekiah was going to be captured by Nebuchadnezzar. He shall not escape. And because the prophecy was negative, Zedekiah was so furious that he took the prophet Jeremiah and put him in his own royal prison, the prison in his own court. Now, it was so obvious because the armies were around the city, although, but he was hoping that there could be an escape. Because when you read the Bible, he even escaped, escaped. and the army, they, they caught him back. <laughs> and they put out his eyes. <laughs> so he was open, hoping that something, the whole thing would be averted. But Jeremiah kept prophesying, it shall not be so. The land will be carried into captivity. And he didn't like the prophecy, he imprisoned him. <laughs> So while Jeremiah was in prison, the word of the Lord came to him. And God told Jeremiah, your uncle will visit you. Actually, in, in, in King James, it's the word uncle. But in the Hebrew, it's the word for cousin. Your cousin is going to visit you. And when your cousin comes to you, that's a word of wisdom. When your, your cousin comes, he will tell you to purchase a land. Don't refuse it. You purchase the land. Because you are the next of kin, according to the right of redemption. Now, in Leviticus 25, there are some certain laws there. What happens is that if a land belongs to a family, and because of a hardship, the land, is much, it, it, let's say, is it, sold out. Because of economic hardship, the land is sold out. What happens is that after a while, the land can be redeemed. Because the land is the property of the family. But the one who can redeem the land is a wealthy person who is the next of kin in the family. So actually, Jeremiah was the next of kin to his cousin, Hanamiel, because the land had been sold, but the land belonged to the family. So God told Jeremiah that your cousin will come and uh, he will give you the opportunity as the next of kin to redeem the land, to buy back the land, because the land was sold because of hardship. But you have money, buy back the land, so that the land will come back to the family. And God told Jeremiah, don't refuse it, you do it. Please, I follow you. So as the Lord told Jeremiah, so it was, it came to pass. 
So the cousin came to the prison court and spoke to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah agreed to buy the land. So the land was bought. Jeremiah bought the land for 17 shekels of silver. Which land did he buy? The land was in a place called Anatoth. A place called Anatoth. So he bought the land in Anatoth. But he was in prison, so how could he know the land was bought? They brought him the title deed. So when he took the, took the title deed, he was convinced that the land was bought. And he gave the title deed to Barak, which was his secretary. And he put the title deed into an earthen vessel. In those days, it was a seal, seven seal. It was a scroll that was sealed. So it was put into an earthen vessel. Hallelujah. This is what we read in Jeremiah 1, uh, 32, 1 to 16. Praise God. All right. Now let's go to verse 7 and let me show you something in verse 7. <laughs> God said, Behold, Hanameel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle or cousin in the Hebrew, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anatoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. Now, verse 7. His cousin's name, Hanameel, Hanameel in Hebrew actually means God's favor. God's favor. Hanameel means God's favor. He was a son of Shalom. Now, Shalom, is, this word in Hebrew, Shalom, is, this, is where we get the word Shalom. You know Shalom. Shalom is peace. Shalom. But Shalom is not just peace. Shalom is an all-encompassing word. In English, we say peace, but in the Hebrew, it's, uh, when you say shalom, it speaks of completion, fullness, rest, plenitude, abundance, health, wealth, soundness of mind, well-being, friendship. All of this actually is in the word shalom. Well-being, well-being, well-being. So now, Hanamiel is God's favor. He's the son of Shalom. You know, the Bible is so amazing. In the Bible, we have multi-layered truth hidden in the Bible. So here we see that favor is the product of Shalom. Favor is the product of Shalom. When you, when you have peace, when you have Shalom, automatically you walk in favor. Because Hanamiel is the son of Shalom. That means Hanameel, God's favor, is the product. God's favor comes out of Shalom. Are you here with me? God's favor comes out of Shalom. By thee, my field, that is in Anatoth. Now, in Hebrew, the word Anatoth means answered prayers. The word Anatoth in Hebrew actually means answered prayers. Can you imagine? Answered prayers. For the right of redemption is thine to buy it. Answered prayers. Now, all of these are types and shadows. They point to something higher. Jeremiah was the next of king. He was a kinsman redeemer. We, we know that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is our kinsman redeemer. He is our Goel in Hebrew. Now, in the book of Ruth, Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He's our next of kin. He came as a man to be our next of kin to redeem for us what we could not redeem. Praise God. He came to buy for us what we could not buy. He came to buy back for, for, for us what we lost in Adam. So he came as the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. Jeremiah is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ who is the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. Jesus today has purchased for us the place and the grounds of God's favor and answered prayers. <laughs> Jesus, hallelujah, in his redemption, he has purchased Anatoth for us. Anatoth is the place of answered prayers. He has purchased the place of God's favor and the place of answered prayers. Hallelujah. So answered prayers now becomes our legal rights. 
our legal rights because the claim for our prayers being answered that field that territory that realm that sphere has been purchased for us hallelujah so jesus died for you so that your prayers will be answered it is legal he has purchased it for you hallelujah say what a blessing my 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 what a blessing he has purchased it for us amazingly you know i not thought was it you know when you study the bible i thought was where the priest the priest lived one of the places the priest lived was anatoth jeremiah was a priest that's why he lived in anatoth it was one of the places given to the priest so the priest lived in the anatoth it's symbolic you know in the new testament we are his priest we are his royal priesthood <laughs> we are his holy priesthood where you know where you should dwell your dwelling should be anatoth where you should dwell is the place of answered praise. That means your habitation is the realm of answered praise. That means every day you are celebrating the answered praise. <laughs> you pray for your mother, the answer comes. You pray for your child, the answer comes. You pray for your husband, the answer comes. Whatever you pray for, the answer comes. Because that, that is your habitation. That is where you dwell. Jesus has purchased that, land, that ground that was lost. Has been purchased once again for you. Say it is mine in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, he bought it for 17 shekels of silver. It's amazing. In the, in the in Bible, in Hebrew numerics, 17 is the number, is the number of victory. It's the number of victory. The 17th time Abraham's name was mentioned, God told him he was going to make him great. He was going to hand over everything to his hands and multiply him. The 17th time Isaac's name was mentioned, Isaac was meditating in the evening tide and his bride was coming to him. The victory of heaven had his bride. That was the 17th time his name was mentioned. The 17th time Jacob's name was mentioned, that is when he got a birthright. <laughs> He got he got a birthright from his brother. I mean, in place of his brother, that was his that was his victory. The seventeenth time that the name Jerusalem was mentioned was when David took the stronghold of Zion, and it became his. The seventeenth time Jesus' name was mentioned in in the book of Mark, that is when he crossed the river. To, and saw the maniac of Gadara who was possessed with legion and delivered the legion to fulfill the age-old prophecy that God see there was a prophecy concerning God that a troop shall overcome him but he shall overcome at last actually it's what is called legion and it was in one man and that spirit through one man was <laughs> taking hold of the whole territory and Jesus crossed the river or the sea to set that man free that is victory for the Gadarians. The 17th time Jesus' name was mentioned. The 17th time Jer Jeremiah's name was mentioned is actually in this verse, in, in this place, this chapter. The 17th time his name was mentioned was when Jeremiah actually bought the land for 17, 17 shekels of silver. And when he bought it, he, began, he prayed his last prayer for Judah. And he never prayed again. Because 17 is victory. After the victory is, is procured, there is no more prayer again. Because everything is settled. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, the place of answered prayers, when Jesus died, my, my, my has been purchased. Has been bought by his blood. Now, you are entitled... You see, when you go to, to prayer, it's not a matter of whether God will answer or not. No, 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 no. <laughs> there's nothing like that. It has been purchased for you. So you are in a realm where your prayers should, you should have ans answered prayers that will guarantee your victory. You see, you should have answered prayers that will guarantee your victory. That's the 17 shekel of, shekels of silver. That will guarantee your victory. He has purchased the place of answered prayers. The place, the ground for victory, the ground of God's favor, is legal. It's legal, so you can celebrate answered prayers. 
Can you imagine if you have this understanding and you go to pray? Hallelujah. When Jeremiah bought it, they gave him the title deed as an evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. The Amplified Version said, faith is a title deed. You see, the title deed. So what it means is that he is in a prison. He doesn't have the land. But what is the proof that the land is his? The title deed. What is the proof? Now you are feeling you are sick right now. What is the proof that you are healed? What is the title deed? The proof that you are healed? Your faith. What is the proof that you have houses? Your faith. What is the proof that you have cars? Your faith. What is the proof that you are married? Your faith. What is the proof that you have children? Your faith. You have not seen it physically. Jeremiah never saw it physically, but he had a title deed. And the Bible says your faith is a title deed. Faith is heaven's currency. Once you believe it, is, it has happened, in the spirit realm, the result has been delivered to you. That is it. No wonder he's showing us how to operate in Anathoth, the place of answered prayers. Ma, 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 ma. Hallelujah. Hanamiel had mortgaged his land. You know mortgage? Mortgage. Yeah. The word mort is where we get the word mortis or mortuary. It means death. Engage is actually means deed. Mortgage is what? Death deed. Death deed. So what it means is that if you give that property and you're not able to pay what is required within the, the agreed time, then uh, the deed becomes dead. So what happened was that actually through Adam, we mortgaged our health. We mortgaged our wealth. We mortgaged our prosperity. We mortgaged our, our peace. <laughs> and there was no way to redeem all those things back <laughs> until Christ came and purchased another thought for us and bought that field for us right now every prayer can be answered and will be answered whether it's prayer concerning your spouse or your marriage or whatever it has been purchased you see I forgot alright I forgot he says my covenant will I not break now alter the thing which has gone out of my lips. No, 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 no. If God does not answer your prayer, once the place of answered prayer is purchased, then God is unjust. <laughs> then God is unjust. God must answer. Because if he doesn't answer, he has disrespected the cross of Christ. That's what it means. <laughs> because it is yours. If God doesn't answer you, whilst that means that if you, you don't get answered prayers, it, it cannot be from God. Because it is his integrity to answer your prayer. Whenever your, your prayers are answered, it honors him. It honors the cross. Because that place of answered prayers, Anatoth, has been bought. It is now yours. Victory is now yours. You can walk in victory. Everything is yours. And he took the title deed and gave it to Barak. Now in Hebrew, Barak means the blessed one. He's also a type of Christ. You know, Jesus is the blessed one. And Barak put it in an open vessel, an earthen vessel. Can you imagine? An earthen vessel. There is this treasure in earthen vessels. You see, our Lord Jesus, he became a man, a human being. He came in earthen vessel. He put the title deed in the earthen vessel. So, the earthen vessel contains the proof that the land is bought. The proof that the land is bought is in the earthen vessel. The proof that our prayers will ever be answered is in Jesus. Because of his humanity and how he came to save us and redeem that land for us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, praise the Lord. Smith Wigglesworth said that God is more eager to answer than, than we are to ask. God is more eager to answer than we are to ask. And it is so true. When you get to heaven, it will shock you. 
how you entertain thoughts that were unworthy of God. You thought God was withholding things from you. No, 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 no. A big no. <laughs> with God, whatever you ask, he gives more than that. My God shall supply all. Now, the root word for supply is where we get the word surplus. Yeah, so whatever he gives you, he gives in surplus. All you need. All you need. He's more than enough. He's the El Shaddai. He gives more than, more than he can carry. I'm telling you. <laughs> he gives more. He gives more. That's God. Once your mind is renewed concerning him, you begin to have answer, answers in your life. You begin to have answers. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, answered prayers, you're, you have a right of claim to be answered by God. If you understand these things in the scriptures. Hallelujah. And the more you know these things, the more you are bold. A few days ago, I, I was asking the Lord, I was talking to the Lord and said, and I said, you know you cannot refuse me. You can't. No, I'm preaching ahead of time. I'll come to that place. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. All right. All right. First of all, to be able to walk in liberty and celebrate answered prayers and to walk in intimacy with God, the first revelation you have to walk in, number one, is to see how God sees you. Very important is to see how God sees you. I want to show you how God sees you so that you can have liberty in his presence. Liberty. Liberty in his presence. Liberty. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Let's start from verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now, how you see yourself in his presence is very, very important. If you are going to get your prayers answered, or you are going to have fellowship with the Lord, or intimacy with the Lord, or going to go, going to go far in your Christian journey, this is a requirement. This is a strong foundation that must not be eroded. You must see how God sees you. Now, how, how does God see you? The Bible says that Jesus how many of you are born again? All right. Blessed are you. Jesus, if you are born again, Jesus already presented you to the Father. And when he presented you, he, when he presented you to the Father, he presented you holy, without blame, above reproach, in the Father's sight. So, when he presented you, all each of us, we have all been presented to the Father. You know how the Father saw you? Three things. The Father sees you, number one, holy. Number two, without blame. Number three, without reproof. In the Father's sight. See, I'm holy. I'm without blame. I'm without reproof. You may say, ah, man of God, you are lying. I'm not lying. I'm really telling you what the scriptures are saying. <laughs> so you know yourself. But you see, now, this is how God sees you. When you stand in his presence, what is most important is how he sees you, not how you see yourself or how others see you. <laughs> Very important. Because you see, how do you see yourself? Now, you don't even see yourself the way the Bible is describing. 
because you see, you, you, see your, you feel your own weaknesses, your own limitations, you know, because the flesh is still, because of the flesh. And all kinds of thoughts are plaguing you. So when you stand in his presence, almost like you have so much weakness and limitations and your feelings are not even right. So you can be bombarded with guilt and condemnation and a sense of inferiority. But that is wrong. What is most important is not how you even see yourself. It's not how even others see you. It is how the one you stand before sees you that is most important. And I'm telling you how much he sees you or, or how he sees you. These are the threefold qualifications. How he sees you. So whenever you stand before him, listen, we don't stand before God on the basis of our condition. We stand before God on the basis of our position in Christ. Otherwise, you would never. Hmm. Ma, 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 ma. You cannot bear fruit. Otherwise, you. Because at any time, you feel something is wrong with you. Most of the time. Most of the time. Sometimes you read two chapters, you feel guilty that you didn't read five chapters. <laughs> Sometimes you pray one hour, you feel guilty you could have done three hours. Even doing the right thing, you are condemned for not doing more. So you will never come to a place where you feel you have the feeling that, yeah, I'm all right. We live by faith, not by feeling. I'm showing you how you can be bold, eh? And you begin to celebrate answers. And have in fellowship with the Lord. And your Christianity begins to ascend. Yeah. So first of all, it's how he sees you. Wow. Not how you see yourself. Or how others see you. Now, when Jesus presented you to the Father, He presented you as the fruit of His work. Father, this is the fruit of my death, my burial, and my resurrection and ascension. If there, so, there was something wrong with the presentation, then there's something wrong with His death, burial, and resurrection. Your presentation to the Father. It's a proof of the efficacy of a sacrifice. If your presentation was imperfect, it's a proof that what he did was imperfect. And that's what he's presented. Are you here with me? To present you. Now listen. How often is he doing a presentation? Don't think Jesus is presenting you every week every church service. No. This presentation is, he presented you once and for all. It's once and for all. Past, present, and future. Once and for all. It never changes. Once and for all. So once and for all, the Father always sees you holy, unblameable, and without reproof in his sight. Once and for all. But man of God, what about all my foolishness? <laughs> man of God, I just gossiped. What about all of those things? Man of God, I know myself. What you are saying, I know myself. Thank God, when you start, it is not who you are in yourself, but who you are in Christ. You must understand that. Your presentation to God by Christ is apart from your works. It's all based on what he did. That's what I said. It's based on your position in Christ, not your, not your condition in living. It's based on your standing, not your state. These are the foundations for Christianity. Some, someone will say, oh, but if I know this, it means I can, I can keep on f- fooling. No, no, that, that is not, you see, this is God's wisdom. God's word cannot be changed. But without knowing this, you may keep further running, running away from God. Because your feelings are not redeemed. Your flesh is not redeemed. You will forever feel inadequate. 
It's only by faith we stand. And this is how position has nothing to do with what we do and what we don't do. It has already been secured by Christ. And the more you know, know your position, the more your position will influence your condition. <laughs> that is why Paul will always talk about our position in Christ, our wealth in Christ, before coming to the injunctions and the imperatives. What Christ has done. Once you know it, it begins to influence you. Ma, 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 ma. Hallelujah. All right, let's see it again. To present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Ah, ma, 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 in his sight. Now, the word in his sight is the word katanopio. It's compounded of two words, kata and opion. Now, kata means down, and opion means eyes. Opion, optic, eyes. Now, the word catenopion actually speaks of looking down intensely. It speaks of God's searching and penetrating eyes. What it means is that God, in his sight, in his searching and penetrating eyes, he has examined you forensically. A thorough, intense, concentrated search by his searching eyes with intense gaze and has concluded that you are holy, unblameable, and without reproof. <laughs> you know why? Let me show you something. In the Old Testament, if I'm going to the tabernacle to meet the high priest and I'm going with my goats, who can act as a goat? Forgive me for that. If you are going to mimic a goat, can you do it? So just come down. So this is my offering. Meh. Meh. All right. So let's go to the bishop, the high priest. <laughs> so when I present my lamb, when I stand before the high priest, Listen, the high priest does not examine me. I'm the offerer. He examines my offering. If my offering is perfect, I'm accepted. So the high priest will come and examine to see <laughs> now to see whether it is holy. Especially in the especially during the the Paschal lambs, they were special lambs called pet lambs. They were uncommon lambs that were used for sacrifices. They were not common. They were holy lambs. That means they were separate from the ordinary lambs. And they must be without blemish. The word unblameable in, Hebrew, in Greek is without blemish. Without blemish means um, the nose must not be twisted. The leg must not be crooked. It must be born right. You know, not be blind. So he examines everything. When everything is perfect, then it means that when the, the moment the lamb is accepted, it means I'm accepted. Then I lay my hands on it. And when I lay my hands, you know what happens? All my sins will go into it. And all the rightness and the inno- innocence of the lamb now comes over me. So now I become as innocent as a lamb. Thank you. <laughs> so then, when you stand before God, you are not the one God is going to examine. He examines your offering, which is Christ. If Christ, your offering is perfect and accepted, then you are accepted. What happens is that as the hands were laid on the, on the, on the lamb, and acceptance and the righteousness of the lamb is imputed upon the offerer, even so, Christ's acceptance, righteousness, and holiness was imputed to me. So I am accepted as he is accepted. So I am now accepted in the beloved. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hallelujah. So, God sees you unreprovable, holy. If God was to see fault in you, it means there was fault in the offerer, in, in, the, in the offering. <laughs> Get me right. If there is fault in the presentation, in the offering, in the offering, it means there is a problem with the. If there's a fault with the offerer, then there's a, there's a fault with the offering. Yeah. So you are presented holy. 
if you were presented unholy, then Christ was, is unholy. If you were presented with blame, then Christ has blame. Because what he was is what is imputed on you. Hallelujah. I'm giving you boldness and confidence in his presence. That is why when you fail, you can still go back. Where do you want to go again? <laughs> if you knew this, I'm telling you, you recover speedily. Because you know his mind concerning you. There are people who think they've, what they've done, they've fallen. Someone came to my lady for one year, she has not prayed. Because of what she had done. I said, you have come to the right place. After one hour, she was speaking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you have to go back and receive find grace and mercy in times of need now so he looks with his searching eyes now you know the eyes of God on the mercy seat they are the cherubs the cherubim on the ark of the covenant you see the cherubim looking in, with intense gaze they are just looking inside the ark what are they seeing? There, are three, there were three things in the ark. And those three things represented the totality of man's rebellion. <laughs> there was the manna in the ark. You know why the manna was put there? Because they rejected God's provision. Then the tablet, the test, the tablets Moses received was there because they broke the commandment. Then Aaron's rod was also there because they rejected God's authority and God's leader. So these three things represented man's total rebellion. So the cherubim were always looking at man. Oh, look at man. Man is wretched. Man is wicked. How can he reject God's provision? So they were always looking into it. But on the day of atonement, when the high priest entered the holiest and takes blood and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, everything changes. When the blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat, you know what it means? Now, when you are walking and you see blood on the floor, what does it mean? It means something has died. Blood means death has occurred. That means that, oh, the wages of sin is death. The due punishment that is meant for what was within has already, already been met. So justice has been satisfied. So the blood on the mercy seat means that death has already occurred. Something has taken... It means that punishment has already been met. You see? So when there is blood, it means there is atonement, expiation. What it means is that the blood speaks better things. Now, the, the cherubim now, what they see is the blood. They see justification. They see redemption, they see peace, they see wholeness, completion, abundance, well-being, prosperity. The blood that speaks better things. All that they see is blood, because the blood covers the sins within the ark. Hallelujah. All right. Actually, we call it the ark of the covenant. But in the Hebrew, it's not the ark of the covenant. In the Hebrew, the Bible says that in the last chapter of uh, Hebrews, uh, Genesis 50, Joseph was buried or was put into a coffin. The word is Aaron. He was put, Joseph was put into a coffin, Aaron. The word Ark of the Covenant is actually the word for coffin. Literally, it is the coffin of the covenant. Noah's Ark is a word for Ark. Tabera, Ark. You know, Moses' ark, when he was born, he was put into an ark. But for the ark of the covenant, in the Hebrew, it is coffin. The coffin of the covenant. You know why? Man's rebellion had been buried. When Christ died, man's, <laughs> all those elements which the angel saw was buried. <laughs> it was buried in a coffin. <laughs> By the way, you see the ark of the covenant. How many of you know the ark of the covenant? You've seen it. When you open the ark of the covenant, not other sites, it formed the shape of the cross. So now what the angels were seeing was a cross. A cross. Do you remember when Balaam was taken by Balak to curse Israel? Look at Micah chapter 6. Quickly, Micah chapter 6, verse 5. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted. And what Balaam, 
the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim to Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. How many of you want to know the righteousness of the Lord? Oh, please, verse 5. If you want to know the righteousness of the Lord, he says that let's go and consult Balaam and Balak. So let's go back to Numbers chapter 23. If you want to understand God's righteousness, Numbers chapter 23. Verse 21. Balaam was going to have to curse the Israelite. He opened his mouth and he began, he began blessing them. He began blessing them. One of the things he said was, he, had not, he has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him and a shout of a king is among them. Is this true or false? Because now when you read the story of Israel, four times God wanted to, wanted to destroy them. Four times though. In fact, God wanted to make a nation out of Moses. At the time, he opened the earth and Korah and his people. So many times they sinned and they murmured and murmured and sinned and you can just know, know the story. But how come now the Bible says that God it says he has not, he has not seen. He has not seen. He held iniquity in Jacob. Neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. What does it mean? Are you following? Let me show you what it means. And it's true. Because this is God speaking. The reason why the number one sin God hated in Israel was idolatry. Worshipping of idols. You know why? Because when they worship idols, when they give themselves to the worship of idols, they refuse to celebrate the year of atonement or the year of atonement. In the year of atonement, the blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat. And whenever the blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat, all their sins are covered. God doesn't see their sins again. What he sees is the blood. But when they start serving gods, and for years there is no atonement, sprinkling of blood, then they fall into their enemies and God begins to smite them. At this time in the wilderness, the blood had been sprinkled on the mercy seat. So what God saw, look at God's eyes. He says, he has not beheld. He said, I cannot, I cannot curse them because God has not seen any iniquity with his people. And he has not seen any perverseness because of the blood on the mercy seat. Why? Why? Hallelujah. What God sees. Now look at verse 9. Let me show you what Balaam also saw. This is what God saw. But let me show you what Balaam also saw. Let's see verse 9 and verse 10. For from the top of the rocks I see him. From the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and number the fourth part of Israel? Let him die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Someone who was called to, called to curse those people. He said, who shall number, who can count, or who can number the fourth part of Israel. At that time, Israel dwelt in camps, four camps. The camp in the east, the camp in the west, the camp in the north, and the camp in the south. So Balaam was standing on the top of the rocks. And he saw the, the encampment of Israel. And when you look at the encampment from the rocks, they form the shape of the cross. Exactly the shape of the cross. Now when you see the cross, the cross, you see that the last uh, stroke is very long. That was the encampment of Judah. Because they were the multitude. So they actually encamped in the shape of the cross. So from the top of the rocks, what you were seeing was a cross. How can God see the cross and see their sins and iniquities? <laughs> <laughs> the cross. Every, all our inheritance and blessings in the cross. When God called Abraham and Lot departed from him, he says, God said, lift up now than, than eyes, northward, southward, eastward, and northward. If you take a pencil and draw from north to south and east to west, you have the cross. God was saying, Abraham, your inheritance is in the cross. <laughs> Hallelujah. Why am I saying all of this? 
having therefore brethren boldness to enter into his into the holiest by the blood of Jesus having therefore brethren boldness Hebrews 10 verse 19 boldness to enter into the holiest by a new and a living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh boldness today we have what boldness why <laughs> because when you are entering his presence you are going through the blood you are going through the blood today we are under the blood of the sprinkling and where the blood is god beholds no beholds no iniquity hallelujah that's it god bless you for listening we pray that the word of god will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's Word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastor T Podcast. Simply search for Pastor T on any podcast app, plug in, and enjoy God's Word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.